Do we need the PA on? Yes. Okay. There you go. We can try. Okay. Let's take our songbooks and turn to number 302. <clears throat> I've sung that one. Okay. Let's sing number 227. 
Sing number 364. 
This morning I'm going to try and do something a little bit different. I'm going to try and do two chapters because there isn't a break in between. There really isn't a break in there. And I want the I want, want to stop at a stopping place rather than stop where where the chapter ends and and go on. So I'm going to try not to make too much comment here, and I'm going to read this in the <clears throat> in the modern speech New Testament. And the reason for that is that as I was reading through this, the King James kind of got in the way. His, the, the King James, the King's English is no, no longer valid as far as American speech is concerned. I mean, I understood what it said, but I had to, to sort it out myself as I read through there. So hopefully this will help, and I would like you to follow along in whatever version you're reading, because this is... Uh, it's an exciting part of the Bible. It's perhaps one of the, uh, if you're reading a story, this is probably one of the most exciting stories you're gonna find. I mean, not that the Old Testament stories weren't exciting. Don't get me wrong there. They are. But here in Paul's life, he has an exciting period of his lifetime here and I'm going to start reading the tail end of chapter 24 sets that sets the picture here and I'm going to start reading with uh, verse 23 <coughs> pardon me here uh, uh, we're in the book of Acts Acts chapter 23. And uh, this is concerning Lysias. Uh, and he, he's, he, Felix said, when the tribune, that is the magistrate, Lysias comes down, I will decide your case. So he says, I will decide your case. When Lysias comes down, you recall Lysias was the centurion there in Jerusalem. And he gave orders to the captain that Paul was to be kept in custody, but be treated with indulgence, and that his personal friends were not to be prevented from showing him kindness. Not long after this, Felix came with Drusilla, his wife, a Jewess, and sending for Paul, listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus but when he reasoned about justice self-control and the judgment which was soon to come Felix became alarmed and said oh, for the present leave me and when I can find an opportunity I will send for you he said you I, I don't have time I don't, I don't want to deal with this now 
is the idea here. At the same time, he hoped for Paul, hoped that Paul would give him money. And for this reason, he sent for, for him the oftener to converse with him. In other words, he was looking for a bribe to, to let him go. Because he would have had the bribe been given big enough, you know. But after the lapse of two years, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And being desirous of gratifying the Jews, Felix left Paul in prison. So he said, when I find a convenient time, I'll try your case. Two years later, he still hadn't done that. And he was succeeded by Portius Festus. So Felix was out of office and Portius Festus came in to take his place. There we start chapter 25. Festus, having entered on, entered on his duties as governor of the province, three days later went up from Caesarea to, to Jerusalem, whereupon the high priests and the leading men among the Jews immediately made representations to him against Paul and begged him, asking as a favor to Paul's prejudice. So the, the, these Jews took this opportunity and said, aha, here's, here's this new man. He doesn't know anything about Paul, doesn't know anything about us, doesn't know the, the trouble that came up, the riot that, that we caused. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, we're going to ask a favor of this Portius Festus here and see if he won't bring Paul down or up here to Jerusalem because Felix had him held in prison there in Caesarea. So he says, we're, we're going to ask a favor. But then listen to what it says right after that. He says, to have him brought to Jerusalem, they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So this is why they wanted him to bring Paul down from, or bring him up from Caesarea up to Jerusalem so that they could kill him. Festus, however, replied that Paul was in custody in Caesarea and that he himself was going there very soon. He says, he's already in jail up there. I'm going to leave him there and we'll, because I'm going up there and I'll take care of him up there. This was, uh, Caesarea was kind of the uh, provincial capital of that region, which included Judea and and Samaria and more, maybe even further north up in, um, what is it, Cilicia? I think that's Cilicia up to there where, where Paul was from. So he said, I'm, I'm going up there soon. So uh, therefore, let those of you, he said, who have influence go down with me and impeach the man if there be anything amiss in him. He says, you come up in here and accuse him up here at Caesarea. 
that that's if you've got some influence or those who have influence these basically it this is a little bit different than what the King James read there uh, and the idea is if you if you can do make this trip up there and usually it was the people who had the um, the the funds and the wherewithal to get a ride up there horseback or a chariot or whatever, a wagon, whatever. But um, he says, those of you who have influence, go down with me and impeach the man there. After a stay of eight or ten days in Jerusalem, now the King James says just a short while, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, taking his seat on the tribunal, or that is in taking a seat in the court, he ordered Paul to be brought in. Upon Paul's arrival, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many grave charges against him, uh, very serious charges here, which they were unable to substantiate. They, they couldn't prove anything that they said. They were, they were just making false accusations against him. And Paul replied, Neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense whatever. He said, I'm totally innocent of all these charges. I haven't done anything wrong. And they're, they're talking through their head. <laughs> all right. I am standing here before Caesar's tribunal. I'm here in Caesar's court. This, you are representing Caesar. As a you are the judge that Caesar set up over this province. And I'm here in your court, replied Paul, where alone I ought to be tried. This is the only place I should be tried. I have, I have done the Jews no injury of any sort as you indeed know well enough. You know I haven't done anything wrong. Festus knew that. He'd have let him go if, if Paul had bribed him a little bit. But then where would Paul go? He, he was known throughout the whole region. And the Jews were out to kill him. There were 40 men that said that they wouldn't eat or drink anything. I'm sure that they starved to death in the meantime. No, they didn't. <laughs> they ate, but they had sworn to kill him. He says, however, if, however, I have done wrong and have committed an offense for which I deserve to die, I do not ask to be excused that penalty. He says, I'm not afraid to die. If, if I've done something really that bad that's that's fine i'll i'll take the penalty but i haven't done anything it's what he told him and he he meant it but if there is no truth in what these men allege against me no one has the right to give me up to them as a favor i appeal to caesar he says and and this was poking this was poking at portius festus he said, no one, including you, 
Porsche's fastness. No one has the right to give toss me to the dogs like a like a little treat, which is what this is the idea. He said, You don't have the right to to throw me to the Jews to die uh, as a favor to the Jews. And notice there are three places in here, at maybe four, where we see that the rulers of the the Roman rulers were wanted to have the favor of the Jewish people and the Jewish courts especially. Uh, back in, well, even in the end of chapter 24, uh, Festus left Paul in jail as a favor to the Jews. They said, well, Paul can't do any preaching while he's there in jail. Well, that wasn't true, but it was just to the army, the, the Roman army that he was preaching because he was chained to one of them every day <laughs> and he used that opportunity. But on the other hand, he was still in jail and that's what, you know, the, the Jews said, he's, he's out of our way. That, as long as the Roman army's keeping him in jail, we don't have a problem. I, I was just going to add that in, this particular, in, in particular cases like this, if they didn't have the respect of the people, then they would be open to rebellion. And those leaders knew that if they had open rebellion in their territory, Caesar was going to come right directly to them and recall them to Rome and have their head. Yes. And so they knew it was especially a, a political game to try to keep them in their hip pocket, so to speak. Right. So that they could maintain the, the peace there, you know. Uh, but it seems like Festus was walking a thin line. <laughs> oh, yes. A very, very razor-thin line because these, these Jewish people were so caught up and so angry over this that they were, like I said, they were going to riot and kill Paul. As a result, he's like, well, I can't have this. Well, Festus soldiers had rescued him out of a mob. <laughs> and that mob violence, was, is that's a no-no. Exactly. <laughs> that's, the Romans don't want that. And so, yeah, you're right. He, But they used, this, used Paul as a, a favor to the Jews, keeping him in jail here. And, and so they... They ask a favor when Portius Festus came into his office. Three days later, they're asking him, oh, bring, bring Paul up here to Jerusalem. But they were planning to kill him on the way. They were gonna ambush him and kill him. And so they were asking that for a favor. But, and then Festus, uh, in verse, let's see, what verse is that? That's um, hard to find the verse in this book. Uh, verse 9 says, Then Festus, being anxious to gratify the Jews, asked Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there stand your trial before me on these charges? Are you willing to go up there and stand? I'll, I'll judge you up there at Jerusalem. And that's when Paul said no. He didn't say no in so many words. But he says, I'm here in a higher court, right here already. I'm right here in the Roman court. And 
this is where I ought to be tried. That, he gave his opinion. He was asked, and he says, no. <laughs> he says, I want to stay right here in, in Caesarea and have you judge me here. Uh, and then he says, he says I, I'm not afraid to face the punishment of anything I've done is really wrong, but they can't prove those things either. He says, I'm innocent. And he says, no one has the right to give me up to them as a favor. Nobody's going to toss me to them so that they can kill me because that's what he was planning to do. It wasn't his plan. Portius Festus was, no, I, don't, I didn't have any part in this. It was the Jews who did this. But he was, he was willing to go up there to Jerusalem to take Paul up there. I don't know how, whether he knew they were planning to ambush them on the way. But he says, no, we'll, we'll keep him there. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's go on. That, then after conferring with the council, Festus replied, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. He said, you, you've asked to be tried by Caesar, which is uh, the right he had as a Roman citizen. But this was unheard of. Nobody did that. Nobody wanted to go to Caesar. As, as a Jew, you're going to Caesar? Wow, this is, a, this is unheard of. But this is what Paul asked for. Smart move, by the way. The good Lord was watching over him. He, he was in better shape being in prison than out on the street where the Jews could get him. So he, he says, you ask to go to Caesar, you're going to go to Caesar. Well, that's fine. A short time after this, Agrippa, the king and Bernice came to Caesarea to pay compliment, a complimentary visit to Festus and bring their rather long, and during their rather long stay, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. So Festus said, well, I've got, these got this man in jail here, and he's been here for two years, and Festus left him in jail and turned him over to me, and I don't know what to do with him. And, this, and he was telling uh, King Agrippa this. Now, I haven't been able to figure out exactly who King Agrippa is and what he was king over. Maybe you have some insight into that, Brother Tyler. So I, I think that, you know, with some semblance to the Roman culture, when they took over a kingdom, they would typically, of course, they had their, their Roman political ruler that would come. Right. But then they also kind of allowed some kind of a, for lack of a better word, maybe a consort king, kind of to be kind of okay. a party to over the Jews, but... They had their own rulership, but they still reported to the provincial governor. Okay. Kind of like a mayor, I would assume. Okay. You know, uh, based on what little facts that I have on it. Okay. Well, that, and you I know, I couldn't find many facts. That's just it. There's there's not there's not much information on it. Um, no. I mean, we would probably have to go to some secular history to find that out. But yeah. if I'm not mistaken, they did. They had some kind of a 
of a, you know, I guess lay, lay ruler that would be responsible for them. Uh, I know in thinking of times of Jesus, they had similar, they had Herod, who was a king. Okay. Of, over, you know, over Jerusalem. So he was, he was the Jewish ruler of the time. Yes. But then they had also the, the Roman rule over them as well. Yeah, that, that's kind of strange yeah, but, having two governments over you. One, one a religious government and, and the other a, a secular government. It's kind of like a puppet government. You know how in some cases okay. when an invading country will go in and they'll take over a government, they'll leave some of those people that can be easily controlled in place yes. to give the impression that they're being benevolent and good to the people. Um, so that they can maintain the, the laws. Because Roman culture wouldn't completely wipe away the laws of the land. Yes. They say, you can have your laws, but the power to do all of this extra stuff comes to us. <laughs> right. You know. Andy, do you have something yeah. to add? Actually, uh, people had, in those times, and there were other governments through history like this too, Persia, for instance, they would have uh, areas, yeah. or like, we, we call it probably states now, but here and from our perspective but they had provinces and little subdivisions of provinces and they had rulers over each of these areas and one of the things that made Rome so effective was their willingness like the Catholic Church to allow people their little traditions and their preferences and so they'd take the leaders among the subcultures or whatever and they'd put them in charge and say okay as long as you stay within our boundaries you can be in charge We'd like you to run it for us, okay? And so they would get to keep their own government as long as they stayed within Rome's rules, which were anything serious, you bring it to us. Yes. So, so they couldn't kill Jesus, for instance, and they, you know, they had things they could do. And Paul was able to say, I appealed to Caesar, and then he just went over the heads of everybody who was over him at that moment because he had taken it. It's like we have... Uh, courts that are summer, you know, federal things and local yes. state things. So basically he was saying this is a federal issue, take me to the government, you know, but it was really uh, probably not an easy decision, it was probably necessary, he was in a pinch in a corner, he had to do this, but that was God's doing because God was using the government of Rome to protect him from the Jews and he was also witnessing to everybody and all those soldiers <laughs> all through this whole thing because um, Caesar was a scary dude. He really sure. was that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Augustus, this was Augustus Caesar. He knew the risk. He knew the risk. But but he I think that he knew that the Lord reasoned this particular thing because it was going to bring to light a lot of things uh, regarding Christ and uh, regarding you know the gospel there. It would give him an opportunity to proclaim that at a on a on a grander scale because of his citizenship ties. Yes, and Jesus was, uh, Jesus had told Paul that he was going to Rome. Yes. And said he's all, he's, I've got a, I've got a way to get in there even. <laughs> but Jesus told Paul that he was going, was going to Rome. I did a quick search on it and it says he was king of Judea from AD 41 to AD 44. And his name was Herod Agrippa. He was the last ruler of the royal title reigning over Judea and the father of Herod Agrippa II, the last king from the Herodian dynasty. All right. Very good. I appreciate that, Tom. You know, there's another example of this 
in a classroom and a teacher has kids and she's got one guy that's really unruly. He's the bully or he's the class clown or whatever. But if the teacher is smart, she'll take that guy and say, all right, look, I've got a job for you. I'm going to put you over the whole class and you keep everybody in line for me. Done. He's usually a, a guy that's pretty smart, but he has no job. It's like when you're training a dog, a, a dog that, that herds cattle has to have a job herding something. He'll herd ducks, herd up, um, herd children, herd anything. That, that's the kind of dog he is, but he has to have a job or he gets into trouble. And so it's the same principle that the Roman government was using here. And they took the leaders and put them in charge. Said, okay, but you answer to us instead of to, you answer to Rome, to the Caesar, through us. It, they had a chain of command. And it was a smart way of doing things. So let's, I, I would like to get through all, all of this. Bit, okay. This was part of God's plan because you notice it was prophesied that he would go to Rome. And, yes. And others, Jesus told, you will come before magistrates. Yes. You know, it was all very prophesied. But then you see the fruit of it. This is the part I liked. Is he writes back from one, one of the places he was at. He says, those of Caesar's household salute you. <laughs> yes. Because it bore fruit. Absolutely. It was not for no purpose. It was for the purpose of having the higher-up governing people get exposed to the power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes. So, and, and, so and through Jesus, to Those of Caesar's household salute you. Yes. All right. Well, let, let's go on here. I, I would like to get through this chapter and the next one if I can. So let's... Um, so let's see where are we were verse 14 i believe he says uh festus is talking to agrippa and he says there is a man here he said whom felix left a prisoner about whom when i went to jerusalem the high priest and the elders of the jews made representations to me begging that sentence might be pronounced against him my reply was that it was not the custom among the Romans to give up anyone for punishment before the accused has had his accusers face to face and has had the, an opportunity to defend himself against the charge which has been brought against him. So this was a little bit of justice in the Roman government. They did have their own form of justice. He said, if, if a man is accused, especially a Roman, if a Roman is accused, then he has a right to his day in court. And we, we have adopted that here in, in our country. He's innocent until proven guilty in our country, at least theoretically. And uh, this was the way the Romans were working also. When therefore a number of them came here, that is of the Jews, the next day I took my seat on the tribunal, that is on the court, in the court, 
without any loss of time and ordered the man to be brought in. But when his accuser stood up, they did not charge him with misdemeanors such as I had expected. But they quarreled with they quarreled with him about certain matters connected with their own religion and about a certain Jesus whom who had died. But also Paul maintained is now alive. So he, he died, but he's Paul says he's alive now. And this is what they were arguing about. I was at a loss to investigate such questions and asked Paul whether he would come to Jerusalem and there to stand his trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to have his case kept for the emperor's decision, that is from Augustus Caesar, I ordered him to be kept in prison until I could send him to Caesar. He said, I, I got him in jail here. What? I don't know what else to do with him. I should like to hear the man myself, said Agrippa. He said, I'd like to hear what he has to say. Tomorrow, replied Festus, you shall. He says, well, I'll bring him up here and, and you, can have, you can hear what he has to say. Accordingly, on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came in state. That, that is, when they said they came in state, it says with all kinds of pomp and ceremony. You know, when, when you go into a court here, the, the judge comes into the courtroom after everybody's settled, and they say, all rise, and everybody stands up as the judge comes in. This is a part of the ceremony of a, a, a court here in, here in the United States. This is how they do it. So Agrippa and Bernice, his wife, who is Jewish, I believe, she's Jewish also, um, in, in imposing ceremonious display. This, they had all kinds of Roman uh, pomp and ceremony here and took their seats in the audience hall, <clears throat> attended by the tri tribunes and magistrates and the men of high, high rank in the city. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see here a man about whom the whole nation of the Jews made suit to me both in Jerusalem and here, that is in Caesarea, crying out that he ought not to live any longer. I could not discover that he had done anything for which he deserved to die. But as he himself appealed to the emperor, I have decided to send him to Rome. I have nothing very definite, however, to tell our sovereign about him. He said, I don't have anything to, to write for what, what accusation has been made of him. So I have brought the man before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, that after he had been examined, I may find something which I can put into writing. For when sending a prisoner to Rome, 
it seems to me to be absurd not to state the charges against him. And the logical argument that he that Festus makes here to Agrippa. And he said, I, I would like to know what to, what to write to Caesar when I send him. I said, I'm, I've determined to send him there, but what do I, what do I say he, he's done wrong? I've got to send a letter to, to Augustus Caesar because I, I really don't have anything to say about it here. Then Agrippa, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak about yourself. So Agrippa gave Paul, says, hey, now's your chance. Here's, here's your opportunity to speak in court. So Paul, with an outstretched arm, proceeded to make his defense. As regards to all the accusations brought against me by the Jews, he said, I think myself fortunate, King Agrippa, in being about to defend myself today before you, who are also familiar with all the customs and questions that prevail among the Jews. For this reason, I pray you give me a patient hearing. The kind of life I have lived from my youth upward, as exemplified in my early days among the nation and in Jerusalem, is known to all the Jews, for they all know of me, know me of old. If they would but testify to the fact, he said, they won't tell you this, but they know me. They have known me for a long time. I've been uh, an activist among them, okay? If they would but, but testify to the fact, how being in um, adherent to the strictest sect of the, our nation, my life was that of a Pharisee. This is, I was the top line of the Jews, okay? And now I stand here impeached because of my hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise which our 12 tribes worshiping day and night with intense devoutedness, hope to have made good to them. So we're expecting God to make, make good on his promise. And this is why I'm here. It is on the subject of this hope, O King, that I am accused by the Jews, why it is deemed with all of you, why, why is it deemed of all of you, a thing past belief, if God raises the dead to life. This is this is the issue. Why why does everybody find this such a an unusual thing? God can do that. He has the power. He has the power to give life and to take it. So why should it be such a strange thing for you to be questioning me? That's why I'm here because I believe that. I myself, however, thought it a duty to be active in hostility to the name of Jesus, of the Nazarene. I was so in Jerusalem, armed with authority, received from the high priest to shut up many of God's people 
in various prisons. And when it was a question of putting them to death, I gave my vote against them. He said, I gave consent for these people to be put to death that I had put in prison. Now, I, I put them in prison under the authority of the high priest. And these are the people that are after me now. In all the synagogues also, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. And in my wild fury, I chased them even to foreign towns. He said, I was, I was a zealot. He's, he said, I've, I've done all of this. The Jews know this very well. They may not testify. They may not tell you that. You know, they won't say this to the Roman courts that they had had him killing people and putting them in prison, but they had. While thus engaged, I was traveling one day to Damascus, armed with authority and a commission from the high priest. And on the journey at noon, O king, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and around those that were traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice which said to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are finding it painful to kick against the ox goat. This is a, a picture that, that Jesus used. The ox goat was a pointed stick that they poked the ox with to keep him moving. And he says, you're, you're kicking against the pricks. You're kicking against those, that ox goad. And it does, it's just painful to you. He says, you know better. This is essentially what he was saying. Uh, Who art thou, Lord? I asked. He said, who are you? He said, I, I know you have authority. You're, this, this sound that I'm hearing and the light around me says that this is, this is God speaking. <laughs> okay, he says, who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, but arise and stand on your feet. Get up, don't lay there in the dirt. I've got a job for you. Stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for the very purpose of appointing you my servant and my witness, both as to the things you have already seen and to those which I will appear to you. So Jesus said, you've already seen some things, and I'm going to show you even more, and you're going to be my witness. You're going to be my servant. You're going to serve me instead of the Jews. I will save you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. This is a promise from Jesus. To whom I send you to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light and from Satan's authority to God, in order to receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance and an inheritance among those who are sanctified through faith in me. Sanctified through faith in Jesus. So these are the people that he's being sent to. 
that turned them from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan to the authority of God. Uh, this is a big job. He said, I'm, you are, uh, he was told, uh, Ananias was told later, Paul is a select vessel. He is a chosen vessel that God had chosen for this purpose. And so he says it, it's for those who are sanctified through faith in Jesus, through faith in me, as Jesus said here. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, I, <laughs> I said, yes, sir. <laughs> he said, absolutely. But I proceeded to preach first to the people in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles that they must repent and turn to God and to live lives consistent with such repentance. He says, this, is what, this was my message. This is what I preached. Not just, uh, you know, I, I went on there to Damascus and I taught them there. And then I went from Damascus back to, Ju to Judea and to Jerusalem. And, and not only that, but I went all throughout Asia and through to Greece. You know, he didn't mention that, but he said, this was my message wherever I went. It was on the account of that, that the Jews see, it was on this account that the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Having, however, obtained the help which comes from God, I have stood from then stood firm from then until now and have solemnly exhorted small and great alike saying nothing except that the prof, prophet that which the prophets and Moses predicted how that the Christ was to be a suffering Christ a suffering chosen one of God the Messiah this is the one and being the first to rise from the dead, he was to proclaim a message of light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. He says, this was the message that I was sent to proclaim. As Paul thus made his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you are mad, Paul, and your great learning is turning your brain. <laughs> he says, you're... All, all this education you've had, he, he realized that Paul was a well-educated man. But he says, you, you, your education has messed with your brain. You're, you're not functioning quite. You're not thinking the way other people think. It's probably a way to say that. I am not mad, most noble Festus, uh, replied Paul. I am speaking words of sober truth, for the king to whom I speak freely knows about these matters. I do not believe that any detail of them has escaped his notice, for all this has not been done in a corner. He says, this isn't something that was done secretly. Those Jews 
were upset with me because I turned to Jesus, turned to the one who came, the Messiah, and trusted him. He's the one who was prophesied in the Jewish scripture. He's the one that I'm serving, and they are upset because I have done that. And they want to kill me. And this wasn't a hidden thing, King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe them. So he's, he's saying this to King Agrippa. Agrippa answered, In brief, you are confident that you could make me a Christian. <laughs> if this, this little sect of people out here that they call the way, you're, you're trying to convince me to be a Christian. Agrippa, the king. Listen to Paul's answer. My prayer to God, whether in brief or at length, replied Paul, would be that not only you, but all who are my hearers today might become such as I am, except these chains. I want you all to be serving God the way I do. I want you all to hear Jesus, to understand the truth of the word. He says, I want you all to become Christians, every one of you. Now, this was quite a tribunal, quite a court. All the high priests and all of the people of high, high office were there. He said, I want every one of you to be a Christian. Every one of you, without exception. The only exception is, I don't want you in chains like I am. So the king arose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with, with them, and they retired and conversed together and said, this man does nothing for which he deserves death or imprisonment. So they went, a, they went aside and had a conference. He said, he hasn't done anything wrong. What? I mean, he's, if this is a matter of religion, this is not a matter of Roman government. We don't have anything to do with this. But then they said he might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. We could turn him loose. But he's appealed to Caesar, and so we have to send him by Roman law. I said, well, this is, this is how it is. We have to do this. And this, there's, there's nothing he's really done wrong. I wonder, wonder what that letter read that Festus was going to have to send to Caesar. We didn't find anything wrong with him, but we're sending him anyway. Uh, kind of a lame letter, I'm sure. I'm sure they flowered it up and made it sound good, but that, that was it. Actually, <coughs> he, had, he had one charge that was the only charge they could get him into a Roman court on of having uh, moved sedition. Moved what? Sedition to, to be like trying to lead people away from Caesar's government. It was the only thing they could get him on a little bit because the idea was that Christ was a king over the Jews. Okay, and that's why they crucified Christ. The Romans 
Yes. That was the only plausible thing they could come up with. And it wasn't even, of course, accurate in what they were doing. But as Paul was representing Christ, he also came under that. And if they killed Christ, then technically to be uh, justified in having killed Christ, they also had to kill Paul, which yeah. they did. They could say he's an accomplice. But the idea was he actually did have one charge that they were accusing him of that Caesar, not everybody else, everybody else knows a farce, but Caesar might take that real seriously. And in the end, that's I'm sure why they killed Paul. is because, number one, if he was loose, there was apt to be more problems with the Jews. And number two, um, Caesar really wasn't enough. I mean, he was tetrified. He killed his own family members. Insane. Yes, yes. Really, literally, actually, mentally messed up because he had such great fears that someone would take away his power. Yes. And so he had this terror that somebody was going to try and take his position. And that's the one thing where if you wanted to get rid of somebody, you just say, he's trying to take your position, Caesar, and you would be pretty well sure that he would get rid of the guy eventually. Yeah. Even if he was uh, his brother. Or his... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we did get through those two chapters. And this is a good stopping place here. It's before Paul's journey to Rome. So I, I think this has been a good thing that we got through those two chapters because there was no quitting place in there. It, it was all one all one thread and so I appreciate your allowing me to do that and uh, I, I hope the the in English in here was easier to understand perhaps than the King James English so uh, I appreciate your attention and we'll have a short break here we're it's 11.05, we'll, we'll be back in here in just, what, ten, five minutes? Let's make it five minutes. Certainly is a pretty day, and uh, the weather's getting nicer in the evenings. Getting a little taste of fall weather, just a little bit. Or at least what I consider fall weather. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was, you know, I hardly qualify knowing what Colorado w weather is like just over the course of one year. So, um, last year experiencing fires, this year we've had a, a wetter than normal summer, and uh, we take what we get, right? And, be th and we're thankful for it, I know. Um, before we get started this morning, uh, any prayer request? I know I spoke with Sister Kathy yesterday through text. I think Tony, a couple others may have, but she sent some pictures out of um, it's an ordination service from there and some connections there to the Ruff family. So um, good that she shared those pictures and some specials with us. So uh, if anybody wants to look at those, I'll have those after services. So um, Let's continue. Remember, Joe, you've got a PET scan coming up next week or week after next, you said. Wednesday. So your PET scan Wednesday. And then a CAT scan scheduled for the middle of September. Yeah. And then 
depending on what's going on with that, they said surgery planned for the, uh, a loose plan for surgery at the end of the month. Probably, so, yeah. he said probably about the end of the month. so let's remember this. You know, the Lord can take care of all, all it takes care of all these things. Uh, it's covered with an abundance of prayer. Um, let's continue. Remember Sister Andy and Sister Barbara and their health dealings, uh, as well as Sister Donna and Sister Tammy. Um, we know that one of the things that most commonly affects us in our life, it's the hardest thing, is our health. So it has it plays a big factor on us, especially. Um, with being able to do things and get around. And so we pray the Lord will work in these dealings. Remember Brother Wayne as well. Um, and continue to remember uh, Cody as well. He's doing better with his eyes, but always uh, remember him in prayer and, and Sherry as well. Um, Megan Mosier, how is she doing? Not very good. Rhonda told me that she was out traveling this weekend that she was down in New Mexico I believe so remember her as she travels and as she gets ready to move to Texas and she, had a new grandbaby. she had a new grandbaby this week that's right she said two weeks early yeah. I think but uh, healthy baby boy so um, I think she's been with them as well this week so let's continue remember her um I've got a card going around for Sister Judy Byers um, to send a, send that love offering to her. Um, so if you'll see that going around if you'll sign it. And then I'll mail it out tomorrow. Um, continue remember Sister Paula Dovers. She is doing better. She's still got a sur another surgery coming, but uh, she is recovering well. Uh, she seemed like she was in good spirits yesterday uh, from the from the photo proof. So... Um, continue to remember my mother-in-law, Stacy Carl, with her heart condition. Um, continue to remember New Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church and Brother Jared and Sister Elizabeth Baker. Um, remember Kathy and Fred, they've asked for prayer for their family um, as well. Um, continue to remember, how's Ruthie doing? Last I talked to her, she's doing a little better. Good, good. And Grandma June is still doing well. Continue, remember, um, I mentioned Brody, Brody Hinkle, uh, who is a uh, young, young kid. He's a battling cancer. He's a friend. His grandmother's a friend of mine uh, through my professional organization. Remember a coworker, April Morris, who has skin cancer. She's got a procedure coming up. So remember her. Um, Remember uh, Brother Daryl and Sister Rebecca Ellis as they moved to Arkansas from Hawaii and the church there at, uh, on the Big Island as they call a pastor. Um, remember the church there at Lancaster. We had a good visit this Wednesday with uh, Chris and Julie Bud there uh, from Lancaster, California. Um, they've been without a pastor for seven years and they much desire our prayer for them to call a pastor. Um, my, my uncle was the last pastor that they had there, so um, please remember them. It was good to visit with them. Uh, Chris is actually serving as the moderator for their for their church there right now, and I've known them for quite a length of time, and I'd like to express my thanks for Sister Shirley for putting on a, 
putting on a meal for them and, and entertaining them for the evening. So they were very appreciative. So they are flying back to California this morning. Uh, continuing with our nation, our military, our leaders, our sister churches. Um, how is James Allen doing? I think he called mommy and he was really in good spirits. And good. Like okay. He said he hadn't heard all through this. Really? That's a blessing right there. And that he was back at work at home. Wow. That's blessed. That sounds good right there. It sounds like things are going well for him. Karen might know this, but how's the, is it Sean? How's he doing? Sean, yeah. He's fine. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've thought about it this week. Okay. Continue remember uh, Mount Hebron as they look for a pastor. I'm going to. Brother Tony, I realized I failed this week and I did not get the rest of the stuff to Priscilla, so I'll get that done today. Um, and get a list of preachers and some phone numbers for them so that they can have some folks to call. Um, remember Elias and Katrina, they moved into a rental house this week. Talked with Chris and Julie about it. Um, she's going to kind of, she has a baking business. She's going to put on pause until they can get on better footing, so... Remember that. Um, remember um, Fred and Kathy's son and daughter-in-law. I think Jeff and Radine, I think is their name. Um, continue remember Robert, brother, Ed's brother, and his health dealings. That's, that's my nephew. Or your nephew, Robert. Ray. 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 I've got Ray and Robert wrote down side by side. And I, as soon as I read that, I was like, wait a second, that's not right. Yeah, nephew. But for prayer for both of them, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. Any other prayer request? Um, if not, we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Um, Brother Dennis, would you leave us a word of prayer? This morning, we'll turn over the book of Philemon. That's where we'll open to this morning. Read a few verses there. Of course, the book of Philemon is not long. Starting there in verse 1, we're going to talk a little bit about refreshing one another. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved uh, Apatha and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, having mention of thee always in my prayer, hearing of thy love and faith of which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints that the communion 
<clears throat> excuse me, that the communication rather of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I thought I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, of whom I have begotten in my bonds. I'll stop there for a moment. So what is the importance of, of this particular passage of Scripture? Uh, we know of the account here, uh, the letter to Philemon was regarding his servant On Onesimus. Excuse me, did I say that wrong? <clears throat> can't speak today, apparently. Onesimus, that's it. I was trying to call him Onesiphorus. <laughs> Onesimus, and he had apparently was a slave, and he had run away from his master, who was apparently a, a brother in Christ. And uh, Paul said he was very important to him in this letter, and that he became so much more because he became a brother. And he was necessary in ministering to Paul there. He says uh, later on, he says, which in the past was thee unprofitable, but now unprofitable to thee, there in verse 11, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receivest him that, that is mine own bowels, and whom I would have retained with thee, that in thy stead he might be have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind, would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season and that thou shouldest receive him forever. For, and now, uh, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in flesh and in the Lord. So Onesimus now had become a brother in Christ and was very essential in, in ministering to Paul and his imprisonment there. So he encouraged him to receive him back and not, not hold that to his account, but rather to hold it, Paul is stressed to hold it to his account in a latter verse there. He says, if he, if he hath wronged thee or owed thee the ought, put that to mine account. So he said, don't charge it to him, charge it to me. He says, I'll, I'll pay that debt. He says, because I needed him. <laughs> so he obviously, in a, in a season right here in Paul's imprisonment, refreshed him concerning the Lord's work. So in this verse, it doesn't say much as to what he did, but apparently he spent a lot of time with him. And Paul found it very apt to write this letter to Onesimus, or to um, Philemon, rather, about Onesimus that he would encourage him to be strengthened in his bond with him and the Lord. We have particular situations in which this occurs in present time where somebody has come to us and maybe they've had issues with others and they, you know, we refresh them with our presence and our ministering to them and sharing the word with them. And then they go on for a time, go on somewhere else. And yet it is bitter to have such people depart or to be parted from them when we go somewhere else. But the importance is, is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are responsible for refreshing one another. There are often times where we can drain one another too. 
The importance of this particular passage of Scripture is for the strengthening of the saints. That's exactly what it says there. The account here is regarding our love for one another and how we conduct ourselves to one another. Paul admonishes such acts of refreshing also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. He says, Watch ye and stand fast in the faith. Quit, uh, quit you like men. Be strong. Let all things be done with love. I beseech you, brethren, you know of the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they, had, uh, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. And I am glad at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and uh, Achaeus, for that which is lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that they are such. The churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord and with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, uh, greet you and greet you one another with a holy kiss. The salutation of me, of me, Paul, with mine own hand, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Of course, we know this is the end of the first uh, letter to the church at Corinth. And what better way to end that? Paul brought some pretty weighty things to them regarding their service to the Lord and regarding the relationship one with another. The bulk of these letters that are written is how we work with one another, how we serve the Lord. But Paul addresses quite at length the divisions, the the sex amongst the brethren there, and how that was not how the church was supposed to be set up. He talks about here in this particular passage of Scripture at the closing of this letter, he says, what? He says, watch ye and stand there fast in, in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. I'm not one uh, for the king's English myself, but sounds like he says, don't be like men, but have faith and be strong in the Lord. He goes on there. He says, let all things be done with love. Why do you think that's necessary for us to be reminded to do things in love? Human nature is not one to be given over to love. Typically, we're an ornery and cantankerous bunch, and we like to do things our way. So the reminder for us to do these things is pretty important. Um, scripture talks about looking in a mirror and walking away, and he says, you forget what you look like. I don't know about you, but I don't sit in the mirror and study myself in the morning. <laughs> I forget what I look like when I walk away. But I can tell you what each one of you look like after looking at you for a little while while I'm standing here from the pulpit. So, but the encouragement here is regarding our relationships and encouraging one another in the Lord. Do we want to be the person that drains or the people that drains one another? No, because that's not the way the Lord would have us to be. He would have us to be loving and considerate and kind and given over to teaching and preaching the gospel and encouraging one another to work together each time we are together and even when we're apart. 
the end of this, Paul kind of ties this letter up in a bow that was kind of a brutal letter to the church there at Corinth. He ties it up with this bow that, hey, I'm going to call you to be strong. Stand firm. Remember to love one another. He says, here's an example. Look at the house of Stephanus. He says, they're given over to the ministry of the saints. He says, uses this word in the particular translation as addicted. He says, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Why do you think it's important? We do have to submit to one another. Why? Because we should love one another. Scripture says, if we can't love our brethren, then how can we love the Lord? We see in particular in 1 Corinthians the, the one that was removed from the number because he didn't love the assembly there. He went after the lust of the flesh, didn't he? He committed sexual immorality. Or those that were given over to preaching dissent in the church. Another gospel. You see that particular play out in several of the epistles here where he talks about this, especially in Galatians that we're covering, talking about the perversion of the gospel, going back under the law. Or subduing the Gentiles under the law. Refreshing of the, of the Lord's people and the Lord's work is essential. Why? Because without it, we lose hope, don't we? We require one another to be lifted up. It's like medicine. It's like a shot in the arm. It says... One of the things here is we follow the example that by faith we might by the Spirit be strengthened. Draw closer to the Lord and draw closer to one another so that the Lord might be seen in each one of us. Paul demonstrated that quite frequently all the, in my opinion all the time in his ministering there and how he went about to all the churches and yet give of himself freely to the point where he was Probably pretty dog, pretty dog tired. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter seven. Starting in verse ten of Second Corinthians chapter seven. It says for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wroth in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, and what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all things that ye have approved yourselves be clear of this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did, did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong but that our care for you and the sight of God might appear unto all. Excuse me, and appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I had boasted anything to, uh, to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we speak all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembered the obedience of you all, and how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. Same church, different letter. 
What was it there? The proof of that refreshing. The proof of that letter and the proof of Titus coming and then being strengthened. When we're sick without medicine, we sometimes can't be healed, right? I mean, modern medicine, that's typically the, the case is what modern medicine would have you think. Is that without medicine, you can't prosper. But the healing of the Lord is what we need. The strengthening of the Lord is what we need. You hear the phrase, laughter is the best medicine? It is absolutely the best medicine when it's with the Lord's people. Paul was quite quite clear here. The church there was strengthened by the coming of Titus, but also through the reproof that he given them regarding how they were to function and how they were to live their lives according to the gospel that Jesus preached, even according to the tutoring of the law, of the law before that. Talked about fidelity in your marriage and the relationships that you hold. The law testified to that as well. But the importance of such was that they heeded what was spoken to them and they did it with love. What's the refreshing that we talk about? Our words can refresh people. Doing something can refresh people for them physically if they have a need. Just being there physically or spiritually for them. Of course, Jesus is our chief intercessor, but guess what? We, we intercede on behalf of others, don't we? Or at least we should. The scripture indicates that. Pray without ceasing. Love the brotherhood. Well, if we love them, we should be praying for them. Scripture is very clear on that fact. Replenishment also promotes reconciliation with those who have been excluded or those that have, from the church or those that have been depressed in heart, those that have been afflicted in, in, in the flesh by their physical ailments. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 27 of, of the second chapter there. It says, For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when ye seeing him again ye may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hope such an uh, and reputation, hold such in reputation rather. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And that's Philippians chapter 2 verse 27 through 30. 
So he, a couple of verses up there, he talks about Epaphroditus. I'll back up there in verse 25. It says, Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger that he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. And he goes on talking about that, but he sent him on after he had been healed. The Lord provided what he needed. Who did he submit those those needs to? To the Lord. But the brethren here he was talking to the church at Philippi were saddened because they knew he was sick. So what was Paul's ref- way of refreshing him? He sent Epaphroditus to him after this so that they could lay eyes on him. Typically when someone is sick that we know of, we're pretty heart sick for him, aren't we? I can speak physically of my of my parents who have had quite a bit of health issues in the last year. I haven't been there. I've been there for 33 years and now I'm 900 miles away and my dad has had a heart surgery and has had complications and things of the like afterwards and I really wanted to be there for him but I'm comforted knowing that he is what he's doing better but sometimes doing but knowing that somebody's doing better and physically laying eyes on him is a bit different isn't it it's much so much more uh, for the Lord's people. Being able to lay our eyes on them or see them, even if from a distance. This life is very difficult and it drains us of our vitality, so we need to look to the Lord for our strengthening, our replenishment. But also how we receive that is through each one of you, one to another. That's what this service is for. When we get together on Sundays and congregate, it's for replenishing for the week. Not W-E-E-K. Or we might be weak. (laughs) Oh, forgive me, my dad jokes are coming through today. I'm a little punny. All the more important for us to encourage one another and strengthen one another. We're small in number. So it's essential for us to do this. Otherwise, we might become overcome by sorrow at how small our work is. We shouldn't. We should be strengthening the Lord that we're still continuing despite our few number. But that's not the importance in the assembly. Important is the spiritual growth that we experience. The numbers come afterwards if the Lord provides it. So draw our strength from the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 38. (coughs) Psalm 38 and verse 9. So such replenishment or healing... Examples are numerous in the scripture to those in Christ by the Lord's mercy and loving kindness. He provides that healing for us when we need it. Psalm 38 verse 9 says, Lord, all my desires is before thee and my groanings is not hid from thee. 
My heart panteth and my strength faileth me as much as for the light of mine eyes. It is also gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life uh, lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man hurt not, and I was a dumb man, and that opened not my mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in those mouths are no reproof. Friend, thee, O Lord, I do hope that thou wilt hear me, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me that my foot slippeth and that they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me for I will declare mine iniquity and I will be sorry for my sin but mine enemies are, li- are lively and they are strong and that they hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that is good. Forsake me not, O Lord, and my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This was David's plea to the Lord that regarding his afflictions from his enemies and from the difficulties that he faced, he required strength from the Lord. So like we talked about in our prayer, he petitioned the Lord for help. Who else provides the best help to us? It comes from the Lord through his people or through his aid of some sort. This is what David was doing here, appealing to the Lord through his tribulation that he could be strengthened. And he knew that's where it would come from. Why else would he, be, would he have said in verse 22, Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. He knew that regardless of his enemies being multiplied, the Lord could provide all that was needed to be refreshed. Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, starting in verse 12. He says, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. All thy lovers have forgotten thee, and they seek thee not. For I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable from the multitude of thine iniquities because thy sins were increased and I have done these things unto thee. Therefore all that they have devoured, uh, that devour thee shall be devoured and all thine adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. And they that spoil thee shall be a spoil and all that prey upon thee will I give for a prey. For I will restore health unto thee and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord, because they called thee out of... An outcast saying, This is the Zion in whom no man seeketh after. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be builded up from her own heap, and the palace shall remain after a manner thereof. 
And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them and they that shall not be few. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime. And their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governors shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause them to draw near. And he shall approach unto me, for who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goeth forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind, and it shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. And the fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until it hath done it, and he hath performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days ye shall consider it. The admonition here was for what? Was for Israel. It's for the Lord's people who had turned their hearts away from the Lord and been what? Ever being delivered up into captivity. Why? Because they had turned their hearts from the Lord. And as a result of that, lack of looking to the Lord, what happened? There was no replenishment for them. And what was it the Lord said? Why Christ thou out in thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable from the multitude of thine iniquities because thy sins were increased and I have done these things unto thee. He says, your wound's uncurable. Your sickness is your own fault, basically, because... I did these things to you because of your heart and what you did. You didn't follow after my statutes and my precepts. But he goes on there after that. He says, I will devour those people who've done this to you. Why? Because you're going to turn around and you're going to look at me and go, oh my gosh, I need the Lord. I, we can't make it on our own realizing that they had left their position as the Lord's chosen people to follow after other gods and other things. And in their affliction, they call out to the Lord, and he's like, Lord, he's like, all right, Israel, you did this to yourself, but I'll take care of you. You just need to look to me. And he goes on there, and he says, I will again... Bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. And the city shall be built from its own heap and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving a voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them and they shall not be few and will, be glor and will glorify them and they shall not be small. Hmm. And then he'll visit the iniquity on those who oppress them. Why? Wow. Scripture talks about the Lord not being, he doesn't want to see that all what men would fail, right? He desires that they all come to the knowledge of him, right? How do we continue in that? By looking to the Lord, letting him work through us and in us. Well, in faith, looking for him to be the author and the perfecter of our salvation. But the minute we take our eyes off that, we would take our eyes off the medicine that we have in this life, which is in him, the best medicine. I'm not saying that medicine, the medicine we take is not good for us. It has side effects, but 
the true intent here is that true healing comes in the Lord. That is when we receive restoration as a people. Is by keeping our eyes fixed intently on the Lord. I didn't have this, but look over Colossians chapter 3. I never get tired of reading this particular passage of Scripture. I hope you won't get tired of me reading it, but it's good. He says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek things that are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God, setting your affections on the things above and not on the things of this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid in Christ and in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then he shall also appear with them, him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, I can never say that, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which these things the wrath of God come upon the children of disobedience, and which ye also sometimes walked when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, lying not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness and mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the Peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body and be ye thankful. How is that possible? In Christ. He says called into one body. I didn't say that. The scripture says that. I'm just reading it to you. But what did he do? He called us to be obedient. He called us to rely on him for refreshing. Let's look at Romans 15. Romans 15 and verse 1. It says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good and edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever were written aforetimes are written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant to you that will be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of circumcision of the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God from his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess unto thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. 
And he that saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and loud him, all ye people. And again, I say, saith, from the root of Jesse, he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye abound in the hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are also full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and also admonish one another. Lengthy reading there, but nonetheless, it's very important. Paul's admonition here to the churches at Rome was what? It's required of the strong to bear the weak, the weakness of those who are weak, right? Why? Because you lift them up out of the mud and dust them off and set them back on their feet and send them on their way. No. We're required to minister to them. To those of our number that are sick and ailing. We can't do that if we're not present and plugged in and accounted for. Ministering doesn't happen by osmosis. doesn't. It requires us to lean on the Lord and ask Him for guidance and understanding and He'll show us what it is that we're supposed to do in our ministry here. It says, Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. I'm going to pick on Brother Tony for just a minute. I don't do this intentionally, but I do it because it's it's on my mind. I've had a rough, I had a really rough week this week. Pretty rough week at work. And Saturday morning I get up and I'm like, I've got so much to do. I've got to mow the yard. We've got to do groceries. We've got to do all these things. In my mind, I'm going, okay, I've got to do this today. And I'm picking up some stuff in the living room, the kitchen, helping Donna clean up the house. And I hear the mower going outside, and I'm like, it's right outside the window. And I'm like, that's awful close. And I look out, and Brother Tony's mowing the yard for me. He didn't have to do that. And I told him that yesterday. He didn't have to do that. And I'm not doing it to embarrass you, but it, it, it weighs on my mind a lot. That I needed that. He didn't know that. I needed that reprieve just a little bit. And it was a great help to me. That's one such instance. <laughs> There's many more of those things in each one of you that I've noticed and seen that it's very intentional. And that replenishes us. It helps us. It comforts us in difficulties that we face. So I'll quit picking on you, Brother Tony. <laughs> but here he's talking about these things. He says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Christ took on our burden so that we might qualify. So it would not be the same that the scripture says, we don't love our brother, we can't love the Lord. So if we can't bear our brother's reproaches and our brother's difficulties, then what more is it accounted to us? The minute that we get to, I can't do that because of my mind, 
because I'm upset with someone because of this, they still deserve us to help them, no matter how upset we are at one another or whatever thing that bothers us or dogs us about one another. We still are required to minister and bear our weaknesses one for another. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Again, not me. That's the scripture talking. Just not in those words. So without such replenishment or uplifting or restoring our brethren, we damage and we wound them far beyond any flesh wound. Say that. You see it in the scripture. You see where things happened. People parted. Our brethren were killed because of their disobedience in the Old Testament. Korah forsook his position as a bro- as a neighbor and a brother in Christ, and guess what? He atoned for it with his life because he decided to rebel against God, him and his sons. You see the same thing with those that took the idols from Ai. What happened? They paid the penalty. Their whole family did. What was their duty? Their duty was to not take those things under the ban that would cause the the faith of those that were weaker to be damaged. I'd encourage you to take a look at that again because that's exactly what he's talking about there. It affects our, what we do in our life affects our brothers and sisters. Same thing there with the um, Ananias and Sapphira and the Acts over there. What happened? They held back a portion of what was supposed to be given to the church. And they lied about it. What did it do? The Lord required their lives for it. But do you think that hurt their brothers and sisters? Absolutely. I'm sure they were very dearly beloved. Think about the, the consequences of our actions and what it does to our brothers and sisters. Oh, I'll do so and so. It's not going to have much consequence. Nobody's going to know. Absolutely, we will. We may not know it and, and thought, but we'll know it. The Lord will, Lord will make it apparent. Scripture says to be careful lest our sins will find us out. So what do I do in my life or you in your life that we don't know about that affects our service to God one to another? It does. It has a huge effect on our service. Let's look at Matthew 22. And I know I'm running way over, but I'm, this is the last place we'll turn. Matthew 22 and verse 34. He says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. One uh, On these commandments hang the law and the prophets. Jesus wasn't hitting them where it hurts. He was just telling them like it was. He says, "If you Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Why do you say the second slog into it? Because if you can't love the Lord, how are you going to love your brothers and sisters? Yeah. 
And that's not just lip service. It's actually doing things. And by doing things, I'm talking about, scripturally speaking, being prepared for service. Being studied. Seeking the Lord's wisdom and guidance on what it is that we should do as a, as a people, as a church, and as a part of the church, what we should do. While the Pharisees were gathered together there, saying, What dinky of Christ, whose son is he? They said unto him, Then the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto him, Unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand, and I will make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him his word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask of him any more questions. The Jews, it was a big it was a big point of contention with them to claim that you were equal with God or a son of God was to be putting yourself above station in life. They wanted to seek to him Jesus up. Maybe find a chink in his armor, but there wasn't one. The point Jesus has pointed out prior to that was, hey, you got to love one another and love the Lord, love doing what he has called you to do. But what did these men want to do? They wanted to tie Jesus up and take him out and get rid of him by any means necessary because he had destroyed their way of life. Why do you think he says you perform every jot and tittle? You go after the specific things, but you forget the smaller things, right? You forget the things that are important still. Because they were more concerned with the letter than they were with the people that the letter affected. <laughs> Neglecting their faith that the Lord was the one that performed everything through them. They just had to be leaning on him for the understanding. It's not by works, but what? By faith. What? Faith by our works, right? So it's the two working together in tandem. Our faith feeds off that. Faith is the source of that. And our faith, if our faith is negligent, how does it affect our brothers and sisters? It does. The importance that we in, in the church is that we replenish one another, we strengthen one another as Christ exemplified that and made the opportunity for us to partake in such a wonderful work. What? By faith. Our faith in Him. So let's take a look at our lives and look at how we interact with, with the Scripture and how, we, how our faith is invested in the Lord if it's invested properly. Are we invested in one another? Or are we just here to, to warm a, a seat? Because I can assure you that's not going to check the Lord's box for sure. Lord's work is messy work. It's not easy. Because the world is not easy. His work is actually pretty easy if we just do it. It's the world that makes it difficult. It's the flesh that makes it cumbersome.
So let us consider and think on these things. I would encourage you to look at it yourself because it's not my words. It's the scripture that speaks these things. It's the account of the words that men that received the instruction from the Lord delivered on paper so that we can read it and so that through the comfort and guidance of the Spirit, we can what? We can understand. That's all I have for you this morning.